Earlier on in this parak, we learnt that when something good occurs to somebody, he recites the bracha of Blesses Hashem, who is the good one who does good. On the other hand, if something bad occurs to somebody, or something which appears to be a bad situation, he makes the bracha of Blessed is the true judge. Accepting whatever Hashem does is for the good, and realizing that really it is for the best. Now, the beginning of our mission will elaborate on that halacha. A man is obligated to make a bracha on bad occurrences, and that bracha, like we said, is just like, meaning in the same way as he makes a bracha for the good occurrences. Meaning, just like he's full of happiness and acceptance when praising Hashem for something good which occurred to him, so too when he is making the bracha, accepting the bad thing which occurred to him, he needs to do it with the same sincerity and the same total acceptance of what Hashem wants, because even though it seems bad, it will ultimately be for the good, as well as the fact that even if it is difficult for him now, all the difficulties in one's life can atone for his sins, and therefore really anything which occurs to him is good, so he should praise Hashem for everything which occurs to him with the same heartfelt emotion. Now the mission is going to prove this from the Pasuk, but before getting to the proof, the mission is going to elaborate on the other part of the Pasuk. Shanem as the Pasuk says, And you shall love Hashem your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your resources. So the Mishnah elaborates, What does the Torah mean when it says, with all your heart? So if you think about it, the word for heart in Hebrew is leave. Heart. The Pesach could have said, with all your heart. It adds in another base. Why? The answer is, it teaches us that you should love and serve Hashem with both your inclinations. Sort of both your metaphorical hearts. We're imagining both the inclinations as two parts of the heart or two, two different hearts. With the good inclination and the evil inclination, you should serve Hashem with both. Now what does it mean to serve Hashem with your evil inclination? Surely that's going away from Hashem. So there's various interpretations of this given. It could mean that that it means you should serve Hashem by going against the evil inclination. Meaning serve Hashem with your good inclination, meaning do mitzvahs. And serving Hashem with your evil inclination is not doing Averis. Another interpretation is that you should serve Hashem even with your physical desires and instincts, even when it comes to things like eating, which you're doing for your physical pleasure, you should make that into a service of Hashem and do it for the sake of serving Hashem. In fact, it's quite unbelievable how you can have one person who eats a normal meal, and you can have somebody else eating the same thing right next to him, but this person is intending that this food should give me energy to serve Hashem. And this guy is getting tons of mitzvahs and the relationship with Hashem just from that slight change in focus. So that is the meaning of Bechol Levavcha. Next, Bechol Nafshecha. What does the positive mean when it says you should serve Hashem with all your soul? Even if he takes your life, meaning you've got to be prepared to take your love of Hashem so far that you're even willing to give your life up for it. And indeed, there are certain mitzvahs and averus which one would need to give their life up to perform or to avoid. And thirdly, when the Pesach says, you should serve Hashem with all your resources, so that's the first explanation. With all your money, with all your resources, that's what Ma'idecha means. But Dover Acher, another explanation of the word and this is the proof for the idea of thanking Hashem even for the bad, that is, what does it mean? For every measure which Hashem measures for you, you should thank Him very much. Meaning, whatever Hashem delivers your way, Whatever situation, however difficult, however easy, however good or however seemingly bad, you should always thank Hashem very much, 
just like we explained in the beginning of the Mishnah. Now, after telling us all about the love which we must have for Hashem, the Mishnah goes on to describe certain halachas involved in fearing Hashem. And there's a very important point which the Mishnah is trying to put across. And that is that constantly, when it comes to our relationship with Hashem, the more our love for Hashem increases, and the deeper our relationship goes, the more fear of Hashem we're supposed to develop, in order to protect that relationship. And the specific aspect which the mission is going to talk about to do with Yiras Hashem, fearing Hashem, is fearing the base Hamikdosh. The Pasuk says, Mikdosh You shall fear my base Hamikdosh, or the location where the base Hamikdosh stood. And of course, the point of this is ultimately to fear Hashem. We do this via treating the place where his presence is manifest properly in the world with utmost awe and respect. And therefore the mission tells us, One should not act light-headedly, meaning one should not act in a non-serious manner as long as he is opposite the eastern gate of the Beis HaMikdash. Because if you are opposite the eastern gate of the Beis HaMikdash, that means that you're in effect opposite the Kodesh HaKadashim. Because the way that the Beis HaMikdash was built is that directly in a straight line from the outer eastern gate of the Beis HaMikdash, straight ahead of that, further on in the Beis HaMikdash, is the Kodesh HaKadashim, the innermost part of the Beis HaMikdash, the holiest place on this earth. And therefore you need to act in a very serious manner if you can see the eastern gate of the Beis HaMikdash, because it is directly opposite the place of the Kodesh HaKadashim, the most holy part of the Beis HaMikdash. Now this halacha only applies as long as the Beis HaMikdash stood. But the following things apply even after the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. One cannot enter the Harabais, which is the mountain upon which the Beis HaMikdash stood, so that includes the area around the Beis HaMikdash too, but Makloi with his stick, because it's disrespectful, or with his shoes, because the land there is extra holy, and therefore one should take their shoes off, and with his money belt, again, because that's a sign of disrespect, and with the dust on his feet, he should make sure he's got clean legs, and a clean body before he enters the Beis HaMikdosh, he also should not make the Beis HaMikdosh into a shortcut, only go into the Beis HaMikdosh if you need to go there, don't use it as a route to get elsewhere. And all the more so, one cannot spit whilst he is on the Harabais, because that's extremely disrespectful, and the Gwana explains that we're learning it from the shoe. If you can't go on the Harabais with your shoe, even though that's not disrespectful, it's just because it's holier land. So all the more so, spitting, which is disrespectful, that is forbidden to do on Harabais. Since we just discussed a couple of laws about the Beis HaMikdosh, the mission is going to discuss a couple more, which also have to do with the laws of Brachas. There are some brachas which we say, which we end off by saying Baruch Hashem, Hashem, and then we end off with a couple of words. For example, Baruch Hashem, Mogin Avram. In the Beis HaMikdosh, instead of saying Baruch Hashem, they would add on a couple of words, in order to praise Hashem even more in the holiest sight. All the endings of the brachas, which were in the Beis HaMikdosh, they would say Min Ha'olam. The truth is they would add in another couple of words, they would say Baruch Hashem, Elokei Yisrael Min Ha'olam. The God of Israel from the world, meaning he runs the world, and then you'd end off Mogin Avram. There's also another difference that whereas outside of the Beis Hamikdash we answer Amen to the Brachas, inside the Beis Hamikdash they would answer Borshem Kvid Malchus Eloylam Vaed, praising the glory of Hashem even more. But the Mishnah tells us that Mishal Kilklu Haminin, from when the Minin, who were the heretics, who denied parts of Torah, when they sort of messed up, and destroyed the laws of Judaism, they fiddled a lot with them, the Omran they said, Ein olam echad. There's only one world. They denied the existence of Olam Haba, and also of Tchiasa the fact that we'll come back to life when Mashiach comes. Now unfortunately, the beliefs of the heretics, who were saying these things, were spreading. 
And therefore, in order to stop this, the Chacham instituted Hiskinu, they instituted Shehu Oimrim, that they should say in the Mish HaMikdash, instead of Min Ha'olam from the world, implying that there's only one world, they should actually say Min Ha'olam Va'ad from this world until the next world, to emphasize the fact that there is another world later on, and to strengthen their position against these heretics. Continues the Mishnah with another thing which the Rabbanon instituted, that somebody should ask somebody else's welfare, meaning they should greet somebody using Hashem's name. And it's not considered a disrespect towards Hashem, because Hashem wants us to get along with each other, and therefore we're invoking His name when we greet our fellow Jews. Now, even though this was Mijabonon, often when the Chachomim institute something, they try to find a source in the Torah as a sort of hint for their enactment. That's known as an Asmachta. And therefore the, the mission is now going to be in Kabbalah Pesukim as an Asmachta, as a hint to this decree. Shanem, as the Pesuk says, V'hinei Boaz was coming from Beislechem, and he said to the harvesters, Hashem, Hashem is with you, and they replied to him, Hashem should bless you. So you see that they're both greeting each other using Hashem's name. Now the truth is, you could say, that's very nice that Boaz did that, but that's no proof that it's necessarily the correct thing to do halakhically. And therefore the Mishnah brings another posseh to show that it was correct. And the posseh also says, elsewhere, when the Malach, when an angel came and spoke to Gidon, this is in Sefer Shaftim, so the Malach says to Gidon, Hashem imcha gibor Hashem is with you, mighty warrior. So you see that the Malach, who certainly wasn't making a mistake here, and he was correct, he used Hashem's name when approaching Gidon, and therefore it must be correct. And now the mission brings another Pasuk to show that even the proof from Boaz is legitimate. The Omer, the Pasuk also says elsewhere, al tovuz mecha. Don't mock, don't shame, just because your mother has got old. Meaning, don't ignore what older people say. You should rely on the elders of the Jewish people, such as Boaz. So therefore, in this regard as well, you should follow Boaz in using Hashem's name to greet one's friends. And now the Mishnah explains, why exactly did Boaz do this? And the answer is, the Pesach says, It is a time to do things for Hashem. They have nullified and violated your Torah. Now, what exactly does this mean? So Rabbi Nossin explains by switching around the order of the Pasuk, so that it's more understandable. Rabbi Nossin, Omer, Torah they have nullified and violated your Torah, Hashem, it's a time to do for Hashem. Meaning that there are certain times that you should violate the Torah or seemingly go against the Torah, because in that situation, it's actually doing for Hashem. It's actually the right thing to do. And therefore, in this situation, even though it seems to be disrespecting Hashem, the truth is, this is actually the thing which Hashem wants. And what a beautiful way this is to end the Masech, the Masech's Brachas, realizing that at every different scenario in life, we need to think properly, what is it that Hashem wants from me now? What should I be doing now for Hashem? Solik Masech's Brachas, Mazel Tov on completing Masech's Brachas. We begin with Masech's Peah. Now, Peah is one of the things which a farmer needs to leave from his field and give to the poor. There are many different things which a farmer might need to give to the poor people, and we will discuss the various things throughout our Masechta, but one of them, and the first one which is mentioned in the Torah, as well as the one which will take up the first four prokham of our Masechta, is Peor. Now, Peor literally means corner, and in short, Peor is the last standing grain in one's field, or the edge of his field, he should leave for the poor. Now, because that's the first gift of to the poor, which Amasechta discusses, and it does spend quite a long time discussing that, therefore Amasechta is called Peah. But it's important to realize that this Masechta's subject is the Matnois Aniyim, which means the gifts to the poor, and therefore it includes other gifts as well. But it's called Peah because that's the first thing which it discusses. Mishnah Aleph, as an introduction to Peah, 
the Mishnah tells us, The following things are things which have no fixed amount, no limits. That is to say that you can fulfill the mitzvah with the smallest amount, so there's no lower limits, but there's also no upper maximum limits, because you can constantly add to the mitzvah, and the more you do, the better it is. And the first one on the list is hapeah, the mitzvah of leaving the edge of your field for the poor, so you can fulfill your obligation at least on a midoraisa level, according to the biblical law, by just leaving literally one stalk at the end, according to the Torah, you fulfill your mitzvah of payah. Mejabonah, we're going to learn that there is an amount, but this is on a midoraisa level. Now there's no upper limit either, because you could technically leave your entire field payer except for the first stalk. You could view after the first stalk as the rest, you know, the edge, the end of your field. Next, the Abikurim. Bikurim are the first fruit. If you plant any of the Shivas Haminim, the first ones which grow, it's a mitzvah to bring up to Yerushalayim and give to the Kohanim. So again, at least on a midoraisa level, you can fulfill your mitzvah with just one fruit. And there's no upper limit either, because you could give all your fruit as Bikurim. Thirdly, Vahori Oyoin. The mitzvah of appearing in Yerushalayim and by the Beis HaMikdosh three times a year for the Sholosh Regalim. You fulfill a mitzvah just by appearing there. And then done, you've done your mitzvah. But of course, the longer you hang around there, and the more you visit the Beis HaMikdosh over Yom Tov, the greater the mitzvah, and the more merit you'll get from that mitzvah. Fourthly, Ugmilas Chasodim, and performing acts of kindness. Any tiny act of kindness, you fulfill the mitzvah. And of course, the more you do, the better. And finally, the Salmat Torah, learning Torah, you can fulfill your obligation of learning Torah by learning any amount in the morning and any tiny amount in the evening. But of course, the more you do, the, great, the greater it is. And in fact, you're obligated to do as much as you can. Now, because you mentioned this list, the mission will go a little bit sidetracked already from the beginning of the Masech there. And give us another list. The following things. A person eats their fruit in this world. Meaning one benefits from the results of these mitzvahs. As a sort of side benefit in this world. But the main reward. Meaning the reward for the mitzvah. Lasts for him for Olam Haba. Meaning for every mitzvah. The reward only comes in Olam Haba. But for these mitzvahs, as well, as well as getting that reward, one also gets an extra benefit of a reward in this world too. Now what are those things? So firstly, kibbutz aim, honoring one's parents. The Torah itself says that the reward is a long life. Ulman yitavlach, and you'll actually have a good life. Now the second thing is gemilas chasodim. If you do kindness, the Poskin Mishlei says, Yudif tzedakah v'chesed, somebody who chases after doing just and kind things, Yimtzel chayim tzedakah v'chavayt, he'll find life, which refers to eternal life in Elam Habar, but as well as that, tzedakah v'chavayt, he'll get justice and honor in this world, so there's a reward in this world too. Thirdly, v'havah shalom anam l'chaveirai, bringing peace between somebody and his friend, meaning trying to make peace among people, the source for that being the same Poskin as we just said. And the Mishnah ends off with a very important statement, Learning Torah corresponds, or is opposite, is as great as all of the other mitzvahs. That means if you have the mitzvah of learning Torah on one side, and all other 612 mitzvahs on the other side, Talmud Torah, learning Torah, is greater than all of them put together. And the Gemara Yerushalmi, as explained by the Vilna Gaon, explains that that is for every single word of Torah. Every single word of Torah is as great as all other mitzvahs put together. And the Chovetz Chaim calculated that we can say roughly 200 words. On average, we say 200 words a minute. Which means every minute of learning Torah, you get 200 mitzvahs of learning Torah, and each of those 200 mitzvahs is worth as much as every single other mitzvah put together. That gives us a glimpse into the unbelievable sechai, the unbelievable reward for this great important mitzvah of learning Torah. And it makes sense that it's the most important mitzvah, because this is the way to really reach all other mitzvahs.
Mishnah base. So even though we said in the previous Mishnah that there's no lower limit, there's no minimum that one needs to give as payer, we said that's according to the Torah, Midaraisa. But with Rabbonon, in Pechas in the Peor Mishishim, one cannot give less than a sixtieth of his field as payer. The Afal Pisha Omru in La Shir. Even though the Chachom said in the previous Mishnah that there's no limit, there's no minimum for payer, that is Midaraisa. But Mijabonon one needs to leave at least a sixtieth of his field's produce standing there still attached to the ground and leave that for the poor people. Now the Mishnah continues by telling us that even though Mijabonon one should give a sixtieth of his produce as payer, that's just a minimum. But depending on the scenario, sometimes it's fitting for somebody to give more than a sixtieth. Hakolofi Gudala Sodeh, it all depends on the size of the field. Which you could interpret to mean that if the field is very large, then the owner must have the ability to give a lot of tzedakah, and therefore should give more. Or you could say the opposite, you could say if it's a small field, then he should give more than a 60th, because a 60th is not a lot of produce, so the poor people won't get a lot. And therefore if it's a smaller field, then you should give more, so that the poor people will get something significant. Secondly, or the fear of Haniyim. It also depends on the amount, the abundancy of poor people. If there's lots of poor people in that area, then you should give more as well. And thirdly, the fear of Hanova, the way we're going to understand this is to mean it also depends on the abundancy, the amount of yield, how much the field produces. If your field produces a lot, then again you should consider giving more. However, at the end of the day, Mijabonon, the amount you have to give is a 60th, but if you're in a situation where you have the ability to give more than that, then you should. Mishnah Gimel, the halacha is that something which has been designated to the poor, you're exempt from separating the other gifts for the poor from that. So for example, if I separate a 60th of my field as payer, that 60th is exempt from the other gifts for the poor. Now, Mishnah brings a three-way machlikes about where in the field payer has to be taken from. Everybody agrees that if you take payer from the edge of the field, it's going to work. Payer literally means the edge. The question is, what happens if you take it from the beginning of your field before you've harvested the rest of it, or in the middle of your field? So according to the first opinion of our Mishnah, you can give payer from the beginning of your field, where you begin to harvest, so skip out the first bit, and also in the middle of your field. And the reason for the Tanakama is because the Pasuk says, don't finish off the edge of your field, Lichter, to harvest. Now the puzzle would have made perfect sense without adding that last word, to harvest. Rather, that word comes to teach us that payer applies and it would work even in a situation where you've got more to harvest. I.e. even in the beginning or in the middle of your field, it doesn't have to be the last bit standing of your field. Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says, I agree with you that if you do so, then that produce which you left there does have the status of payer, and therefore you'd be exempt from separating the other gifts, because it is payer. However, the Torah used the word payer, which is the end of the field, and therefore, as long as you separate the end of the field, at the end of your harvest, the right amount of payer, a 60th, only then do you fulfill your obligation of payer. But once you've done that, then both the produce which you separated at the end, as well as that which you separated at the beginning and the middle, it all becomes payer, and you do not need to give the other gifts to the poor from that produce. So in other words, Shimon is saying that in order to fulfill your obligation, it has to be from the end. But at any point of the field, whatever you separate as payer is considered payer and therefore exempt from the rest of the gifts for the poor. Rabbi Yehuda, on the other hand, Rabbi Yehuda Eimer, Rabbi Yehuda argues on two points in Rabbi Shimon. Number one is that Rabbi Yehuda holds that in order to fulfill your obligation of payer, 
on both a Majabon level and a Midoraita level, it's enough that just one stalk is left at the end. That fulfills your biblical obligation. Whereas Rishimon said that you have to leave a 60th, and the second point which Shuri Yehuda argues on is that according to Shimon, if you don't leave that bit at the end, then the pair which you left before that is still considered payer, and therefore exempt from the other gifts. It's just that you haven't fulfilled your obligation, but it's still considered payer. Whereas according to Yehuda, if you do not give anything from the end, then even that which you gave before is not considered payer and therefore is obligated in the other gifts. In Shia Karechad says Rabbi Yehuda, if he left over even one stalk at the end of the field, then he can rely on that as payer. And then he'll fulfill both his obligation from the Torah, and if he adds on from the beginning or the middle up to a 60th, then he'll fulfill his Vijabon obligation. But for Imlav, if not, if he doesn't leave anything at the end, then even the produce from before is not considered payer. And therefore it's obligated in, in the other gifts. However, there's an exception. There's another way to get out of the other gifts, and that is if you declare your property to be ownerless, so anyone can take it, even wealthy people, then you're exempt. So the Mishnah says that you can now only give this to others and be exempt from taking the other gifts from it if you make it ownerless. But otherwise we'll be obligated to separate the other gifts from it because it is not payer since you didn't separate anything from the edge of the field. So just to summarize quickly, according to the Tanakama, you can fulfill your obligation of payer from any part of the field. According to Bishimon, payer which you separate from any part of the field is considered payer but to fulfill your obligation, you have to separate a 60th at the end. And according to Yehuda, the pair which you separate elsewhere in the field is only payer if you also separated at least a tiny amount from the edge of the field.